Investments are not FDIC insured, nor are they deposits of or guaranteed by a bank or any other entity, so they may lose value. American funds are not available outside the U.S. The following is not intended as an offer to purchase or distribute American funds outside the U.S. I'm Matt Miller, and this is Capital Ideas, your connection to the minds and insights shaping the world of investments. 47 years is nothing to sneeze at. But when you're talking about the investment business in a career like Claudia Huntington's, words like legendary come to mind. Before Claudia retires later this year, we wanted to ask her for just one more lesson, one more insight, one more interview. My colleague Will McKenna did the honors. By the way, for those of you counting, this is the 100th episode of the Capital Ideas Podcast. That's nowhere near 47 years, but it's quite an achievement nonetheless. Congratulations to us. Now, here's Will's conversation with Claudia. We're here today with Claudia Huntington. Claudia is an equity portfolio manager with 47 years of investment experience. Claudia has decided to retire later this year, and so we're taking this opportunity to have a wide-ranging conversation about all the lessons she's learned throughout her amazing career and try to pass along as much of that wisdom as we can to all of you in our audience. She has held many different responsibilities over her career here, but Claudia is probably most associated with her tenure on two funds, two strategies, as long-term portfolio manager and principal investment officer on AMCAP Fund and the New Economy Fund. Claudia holds an MBA from Harvard and a bachelor's degree in economics from Stanford. Claudia, welcome back to Capital Ideas. Great to have you with us. Thanks, Will. It's lovely to be here, and I hope everyone out there is is uh, staying healthy. So, Claudia, I say welcome back. You know, this isn't your first conversation with us. We always have a good time. I want to tell our audience, after you finish listening to this episode, please do go back and check out our June 29th, 2018 episode with Claudia. The title of that was Lessons Learned from 45 Years of Investing. The title of this will probably be Lessons Learned from Almost 50 Years of Investing. So, you know, as you look back on your career, what are the most important lessons that you feel you've learned over that time? And are there any stories you can share that help illustrate some of those lessons? Great question. And as I wind down my time in the investment side, I would say there are three things that I'd point out. And the first thing is that management matters. The younger you are in this business, the more you think it's sort of a math question is to figure out the perfect model and the perfect valuation. But the more you invest, the more you realize management is front and center, the most important thing you can work on. So, I mean, some examples are we've talked about Satya Nadella at Microsoft, who was not really an obvious choice um, when he was brought in to run the company after Steve Ballmer left, but but who has excelled for so many reasons. And, you know, one of the things that was pointed out in my conversations, one of the things Satya does at the end of every meeting, regardless of who he's meeting with, is he says, what do you think? And this is such a, a demonstrable cultural uh, advantage he has. He wants people to participate. He wants to hear other voices. And it's made a huge difference in the company. Mark Donegan, one of my absolutely all-time favorite CEOs, was one of the most effective CEOs in terms of 
how he operated the company. His company was Precision Cast Parts, which did very, very well. And it was taken out by Berkshire Hathaway a few years ago. Uh, Just a great allocator of capital. And, you know, similarly, a, a poor CEO in a great industry can increase the risk of investment failure. So good management, or at least being able to calibrate management is a really big, important attribute to what's important in investing. Second thing is the long term really does matter. When you think through the life cycle of a company, it's helpful to think if it's in a growth mode or in a mature mode or in a mode where there's a lot of disruption in its industry. And, you know, how CG measures our results as PMs, we have the benefit of taking that long term and ideally catching opportunities early. And that's such an important part of investing. And it's something that fewer and fewer companies and and investors, I I think, do because of the focus on near-term results. So I think that gives us an advantage. And the the third item I'd say is a little inward looking, but the structure and the culture of our investment group at at Capital really matters. Um, It's built to support the weak idea, to challenge conventional wisdom and allow all kinds of different investment backgrounds and strengths to blossom. And And one advice I give to newer folks is to take full advantage of that historical knowledge of companies and points of view in order to jumpstart and enrich their own investment skills. So to me, our culture is what helps make all of us better investors than we might even be on our own. So those would be the three main ones. That's great. And I know you've you've talked a lot about management. I, I know there's a great story, I think, on that other podcast about Precision Cast Parts where you were driving around somewhere in Portland <laughs> trying to find the company. And it was sort of an industrial area. And and I think, Mark Donegan, the idea you were bringing across was how humble they were and how nice. frugal with capital. That was nice. your kind of guy. Yeah. I love this idea of the weak idea. And I've heard it called also the lonely idea. Um, capital and our, our, our place supports that. Do any examples leap to mind in your own tenure or where you had kind of a out there lonely idea? Yes. Well, I mean, let's take precision cast parts. So the company itself is um, in the industrial space. It's a specialty, basically specialty metals company. Now, you know, that is not the most exciting industry. It's not a software as a service company. Um, it had a fairly concentrated amount of, uh, of clients. So there was risk in terms of client exposure. Um, and it had, it had risks in terms of supply, uh, sources and so forth. So it, it was, you know, you look at it on paper and you know, ah, it's not all that interesting. Um, so when I did go down that dirt road and I finally found the gravel parking lot and I finally found the company that was on the third floor because the first floor was too expensive. Um, I come into this company that was just spectacularly managed, operationally focused, just focus, focus, focus. And um, then I came back and discussed it. And the lonely idea part is that here is a company that's not in the most interesting industry, but the benefit of our system is, I recall when I brought it to the group saying this is a really interesting company and I would like to invest in it. Um, the feedback that you get when you bring an unlikely idea to a meeting is challenging. It's polite. It's respectful. 
But it is challenging. You know, why would you want to invest in a specialty metals company in this stage of the cycle? But the beauty of this is that I made my argument and made my decision to invest. And by doing so, I convinced my colleagues, as one does, if you're willing to put this company into your own portfolio, then that's a statement right there. And so then you get some company and and then you in, introduce in this case, Mark Donegan to the group. And they're, they're as impressed as certainly as I was. And that increases our interest in the company. So that's an example of sort of a lonely idea. That's great. Um, this might be the right segue to ask you uh, maybe a, another kind of two-sided question. What have been some of your favorite or most successful investments over your career? And what did you learn from those? And then in the interest of being balanced, what have been some of your least successful Well, you're right. I mean, we all have the ones we like to talk about. We all have the ones we learn from. Um, Sometimes both. Uh, In my case, I'll give you an example of both sides of that. But um, one of my earlier successes of finding a great company was um, Silicon Graphics, which was managed by a guy named Ed McCracken, who came from Hewlett Packard, had just joined the company. And at that point, Hewlett was like the Harvard of Silicon Valley. I mean, if you had a degree from Hewlett, you were top flight. And Ed was just an amazing leader. And it was a very small company. It was um, it was a company that was sort of basing its hardware on an unusual chip. It wasn't a conventional chip, and it was very risky. Most people thought it was very risky, and the stock had really gotten hammered. And So I met Ed and we talked about the business and I remember just being incredibly impressed with his vision and his conviction that the strategy was correct and it turns out it was correct. But to me, that was was a fun success because we identified it early, it was very risky and we found the right CEO to invest with. So that worked out. We did great for quite a while, and then we didn't. And the reason we didn't was uh, the CEO is still in place. The trajectory still seemed just as good as it was when we had been investing for several years. But what I missed was that he kind of took his eye off the ball. He got interested in politics. He essentially assigned running the company to his COO, whom I was not terribly keen on, but I. I had established such trust and faith in what I thought was going on that I didn't look more closely that actually the person running the company had changed and they made some mistakes and the industry got a little wonky. And so as a result, it just, it lost its mojo and it never, it actually never recovered. And so, you know, that was both my best and my worst. You know, another one is Kotak Mahindra Bank, uh, which is one of, private bank in um, in India and uh, the founder is to, is continues to run the company Uday Kotak and we found that relatively early and again management matters and Uday is one of the most focused conservative innovative bankers you could ever meet in your life and he's in India where the growth of the banking system in India was really at, at wasn't at the beginning when we when we found this company, but it was pretty it was pretty young, and uh, and he's just done a wonderful job of running it. So those are some that are examples of successes. Those are some great examples, 
and the fact that Silicon Graphics was kind of showed both sides of the of the ride. I couldn't help but notice uh, how many you know CEOs are featured in all of those stories. So again, back to your point of how how you like to focus on management. You know, talk a little bit more about this because the key part of your job and management is so important is building these relationships, right? So you get to know these folks, and there's a level of rapport there. But how important is that? Well, it's it's really important, and and it, again, it comes back to our best investment decisions are made because we understand the opportunities that a company has. We understand how they're going to execute. We understand the risks and whether or not they can execute. And we have a time frame that says if they miss a quarter or two, opportunity, because we can invest more. So when you think about it, if you're running a company, that's what you think about. You think about, am I taking advantage of all the opportunities out there? Am I on the right trajectory? Is my strategy correct? Am I building my company in such a way that it can grow to be larger? All of these things are really important to the CEO, certainly if they're a good CEO, to figure out. And if they can have a conversation with someone who is just as interested, truly interested in those topics as well, you get a very rich dialogue. You get an understanding of the talents of the company. You get an understanding of what the risks are in trying to execute the strategy. And you make better decisions as a result of, of being on that. I call it being on the same wavelength as the CEO. You know, I've sat in on plenty of meetings where, you know, the poor CEO has to talk about the quarter. And of course, quarters are important. And of course, they can indicate where the future can go or not go. And I, I completely get that. And we, uh, we do look at quarters. But when you're trying to determine if it's a good investment, you have to take that longer term view because otherwise you're trading it. And I think most of us feel that we're we're going to make more money for our shareholders if we invest rather than trade. You know, you mentioned in that list of stories, you give us a little lens into your research process. You talked about India and I've been struck by, I mean, I know you've been primarily a U.S. investor, but also with some responsibility or some freedom to invest outside the U.S. through new economy and other strategies but you try, seem to travel a lot for a, for a mainly U.S. I'd love for you to talk about that and why that's important, especially your travel overseas. I've seen you written about India, China, Asia, elsewhere, Latin America. Paint that picture. Why is that so important to you and what role does that play in your decision-making process? It's really all about perspective. You know, you can, when you think about the companies that we, that we invest in, so many are global. And, you know, I can go to India and I can go see a company that is in the pharmaceutical business. It's engineerics, but it's trying to get into others. That's going to give me perspective on all pharmaceuticals, wherever they are. I can go to India. I mean, we just, some of us just came back. Well, a year ago, we came back from India and, uh, you know, we saw a company in the industrial space. We saw a company we talked about a company in the motorcycle space, but talked to a company in the beverage space. All of these companies are global, and we get perspective on a potentially very big growth market from just going there that could have impact on the growth opportunities for this company globally or its competitors. And so you, you not only travel because you can get some 
notion of the competitive environment, but you also get a notion as to where challenges could come from or where opportunities can come from. So um, it just gives you tremendous perspective. And unless you're only investing in a company that only has supply chains in the U.S. and customers in the U.S. and business in the U.S. only, of which there are very few out there now, um, having that having that global perspective is a, is a tremendous, I think it's a tremendous advantage. And you kind of have to go see with your own eyes, right? You can't imagine India and what life might be like there for somebody launching a, a bank of that nature until you go there and kind of see it firsthand. Exactly. You like hearing investment insights on our podcast? You'll love getting them in your inbox. For industry-leading articles, support tools, and more, subscribe to Capital Ideas. Just go to getcapitalideas.com. That's getcapitalideas.com and subscribe today. I know you also, in your style, you've got a real abiding passion for smaller companies, small cap, mid cap, and have been really a champion for them. Talk about that. Why are you so interested in those smaller and mid-sized companies? Well, I, I love growth companies. And when you think about it, there are a whole lot of small companies that are trying to grow to be big companies. They're not trying to maintain their size. They're trying to grow. And so, you know, this is not to say that larger companies aren't interesting because they are as well, but it's so much fun to find a small company with a really good management that has a super focus on winning. And if they don't win, they lose, like they really lose big, like they may not be around. And so, there is a dynamic of many of these smaller growth companies that has a lot to do with disruption. It has a lot to do with their strategy as to how they're going to win that just makes them really interesting. And as you know, as I've been talking all this time, management makes a big difference. And in a small company, it really makes a difference, um, whether it's a founder management or whether it's someone else. And the other thing I like about small companies, uh, Will, is that you can also get perspective on big companies as a result of looking at them, because if you find a small company that is really good at something, it's going to take share from somebody else, right? And so it's helpful to know who they're going to take share from, and then that gives you perspective on those bigger companies as well. So you get growth, you get perspective on bigger companies, it's fun, and if you're willing to really get on the road, it's hard work because you know, you need maybe 10 companies to make up for one big company if you're managing a portfolio that's got a mixed market cap. But there's some real opportunities out there. That's great. I would say for our audience who are probably picking up on this too, Claudia Huntington loves to hunt. You, you love to get out and kick over the rocks and find the good ones out there. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about, we've talked a lot about your investment style and some of the examples of your lessons over your career been a lot of changes in this business over your career, not the least of which is probably not a lot of women in the business when you first started. But talk a little bit about that. What are the major changes you've seen in the investment business, whether it is the role of women in it or other elements as well? Well, it has changed a lot. From a standpoint of being a woman, um, I, I feel so fortunate in coming to Capital when I did because I always felt from the beginning that I had just as much opportunity as the next person. And I imagine that was not the case in the industry overall, but CG was really great. And I mean, early on, there were there were still those occasional company meetings where um, the broker would host 
the meeting in a men's only club, which means I had to enter and exit through the back stairs. And and uh, there were times when I'm sure I wasn't taken as seriously as I might have been. But, you know, so maybe you work a little harder as, as a result, but it's it's really a great business. And CG is a very woke organization in this regard. So from a gender standpoint, um, you know, I think we've made a lot of headway. And this industry still is one in which merit really counts. And that can be gender aside, race aside, ethnicity aside, and so forth. Merit really counts. And I think most of this industry, I'm sure not all of it, is or will be or has been a meritocracy. Yeah, got it. I'm wondering if you are having, you must be having lots of these conversations with your younger colleagues trying to help, you know, mentor some of our our younger analysts and portfolio managers. What are some of those conversations look like and what are you, what kind of lessons are you trying to convey to those folks in our shop? Well, yeah, uh, very timely question. So um, I tell them to uh, think of this business as an art, not a science. Um, you know, calibrating CEOs that we've talked about, really important. Look to the future. You can't model the future perfectly. Look around corners. Um, it's an art form. It's not science. You need math, but it's still an art form. I tell them to um, to develop their own style and to build their own unique way of, of finding fabulous companies. Um, Anne-Marie likes to use the phrase superpower. This is Anne-Marie Peterson. She's been on a podcast or two, but it's a great point. Find the superpower in you. Find the superpower in a company that you look at. Um, and I also tell them to stay humble. This is a tough business. Um, it's hard to be wrong as much as one is in this business. Invariably, you're going to be wrong. And invariably, hopefully, you're also going to be very right. And um, the market should teach us humility. And so I advise them to stay humble. Even if they're doing really, really well, I advise them to stay humble. I would love to switch gears a little bit and think about Anne-Marie Peterson. This is something we did with Anne-Marie a month ago. Anne-Marie, and for our audience, let me try to tell this story. Anne-Marie is now one of the principal investment officers on Growth Fund of America. Uh, when she was taken on that role a few years ago, she went back and read through all the Growth Fund of America annual reports going back to... I guess the 70s. And in 1982 edition of the airport, there was a picture of a young analyst, Claudia Huntington, young tech analyst. And they were asking you guys at that time to sort of look out into the future and make some bold predictions about what you thought life might look like in the years ahead. And you said something like, you know, at some point in time, this 1982, we'll have cell phone that's like the, the size of a pocket calculator that will carry everywhere with us. Well, I'm sure you were laughed at. That, that sounded pretty outlandish then. But anyway, Emery used that story to talk about how she's thinking about the future. I'd love to kind of turn that back on to you now, Claudia, and say, here we are. It's been a uh, heck of a year here in 2020. A lot of things have already accelerated. It feels like 2030 in some ways. But look ahead, and as you think about the future, and as you think about the year 2030, what do you think life will look like? And what are some of the predictions you would want to make at this time? So far in my career, as you point out, cell phones happened. The internet happened. There wasn't internet when I started. We didn't have desktop computers. We didn't have laptops. We didn't have so many of these life-saving drugs that are out there now. 
And uh, I mean, there was a company that I covered that was an absolute Wall Street favorite, high flyer, digital equipment company, brilliant CEO. And he said at the time, why would anyone need a computer on their desktop? I mean, right. So, so much has happened in my career, in my lifetime. And I know there are going to be comparable, huge leaps. Um, I think a lot of them technology based, um, but some of them other based on other stuff that are going to affect so many industries. I mean, think about energy, right? So I'm sure there's going to be some fabulous storage technology that's coming out. There's going to be better recovery technology that's coming out, better battery technology. And you think about how that's going to affect how people, where people live, what kind of uh, transportation they use and so forth. So, you know, there's revolutions going on in energy. There's revolutions even going on in food and agriculture. I mean, you look at how farms operate now versus what they did before. And I think that's even going to accelerate. I think there's a lot of technology that can really help in the agriculture industry. Um, communications, you know, we know there's 5G, there's mesh, there's satellite, but I think we are going to be amazed at how bigger and bigger pipes, if you will, are going to change how we entertain ourselves. They're going to change how virtual reality really gets into so much of what we do, because now we have the technology that can actually stream virtual reality, not just by wearing glasses, but by actually doing it on a remote basis. Um, I think one of the most exciting areas that is going to really evolve over the next 30 years is in medicine, um, where it's not just a drug discovery, which is going to get increasingly more effective and efficient, but it's, it's more medicine on the edge of the network, so to speak, whether it's personal medicine, virtual medicine, how, how you're monitored, um, how you're diagnosed. I think there's incredible advances that are going to happen in that regard. That's a great answer. And finally, what about you? What's next? I know you're very active outside work with your family and with some nonprofits, but what are your plans after retirement? Well, the good news I just heard in the last week is that uh, we're going to have our first grandchild. That's going to be fun. As you say, I'm going to spend more time with my nonprofits, but uh, we've gotten a new puppy for those of you who are dog lovers out there. And there's some other things I'm thinking about, but you know, I, I really don't think in terms of retiring from something. I really think in terms of of uh, an opportunity to start some new stuff. So it's been a tremendous life for me in my in my official career, but I'm I'm really quite excited about about the next step. So we'll see. Spoken like a true growth investor, always looking at the future. I love that as a place to end. Well, Claudia Huntington, what a delight. Great to have you on Capital Ideas. Thank you. Thank you, Will. It's been a pleasure. We're always trying to get better. So if you have any feedback, including topics you'd like to see addressed in future episodes, shoot us an email to capitalideas at capgroup.com. For Capital Ideas, this is Matt Miller, reminding you that the most valuable asset is a long-term perspective. Investors should carefully consider investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other important information is contained in the fund prospectuses and summary prospectuses, which can be obtained from a financial professional and should be read carefully before investing. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Member, FINRA. Investing outside the United States involves risks, such as currency fluctuations, periods of illiquidity, and price volatility, as more fully described in the prospectus. These risks may be heightened in connection with investments in developing countries. Small company stocks entail additional risks. 
and they can fluctuate in price more than larger company stock. The return of principal for bond funds and for funds with significant underlying bond holdings is not guaranteed. Fund shares are subject to the same interest rate, inflation, and credit risk associated with the underlying bond holdings. Lower-rated bonds are subject to greater fluctuations in value and risk of loss of income and principal than higher-rated bonds. Statements attributed to an individual represent the opinions of that individual as of the date published and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Capital Group or its affiliates. This information is intended to highlight issues and should not be considered advice, an endorsement, or a recommendation. Any reference to a company, product, or service does not constitute endorsement or recommendation for purchase and should not be considered investment advice. This content, developed by Capital Group, home of American Funds, should not be used as a primary basis for investment decisions and is not intended to serve as impartial investment or fiduciary advice. American Funds are intended only for persons eligible to purchase U.S. registered mutual funds. Not all Capital Group model portfolios are available outside the U.S. The Capital Ideas websites are not intended for use by Canadian audiences. In Canada, please visit capitalgroup.com slash CA for Capital Group Insights. For listeners in Canada, commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the perspectives before investing. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Capital Group funds are available in Canada through registered dealers. For your individual situation, please consult your financial and tax advisors. Capital International Asset Management Canada, Inc. is a wholly owned subsidiary of Capital Group. Please visit capitalgroup.com slash CA for more information. American funds are not available in Canada. For listeners in Asia, Australia, the information in this communication is of a general nature. This communication has been prepared by Capital International Inc., a member of Capital Group, a company incorporated in California, United States of America. The liability of members is limited. In Australia, this communication is issued by Capital Group Investment Management Limited, ACN 164-174-501, AFSL number 443-118, a member of Capital Group, located at level 1856 Pitt Street, Sydney, NSW 2000, Australia. All Capital Group trademarks mentioned are owned by the Capital Group Company, Inc., an affiliated company or fund. All other company and product names mentioned are the property of their respective companies. For listeners in European countries, excluding Switzerland and UK, this communication is issued by Capital International Management Company, SARO, authorized and regulated by the Commission de Surveillance du Secteur Financier, a subsidiary of the Capital Group Companies, Inc., Capital Group. For listeners in Switzerland, this communication is issued by Capital International SARO, authorized and regulated by the Swiss Financial Market Supervisory Authority, FINMA, a subsidiary of the Capital Group Companies, Inc., Capital Group. For listeners in UK, this communication is issued by Capital International Limited, authorized and regulated by the UK Financial Conduct Authority, a subsidiary of the Capital Group Companies, Inc., Capital Group.